of all the podcasts in all the world, you just had to click on ours. And we thank you for that. Welcome to another episode of Does It Hold Up? I'm Adam. And I'm Emily. And today we are going all the way back to 1942 for another Best Picture Oscar winner. We are talking about the all-time great Casablanca. If that plane leaves the ground and you're not with him, you'll regret it. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your life. But what about us? We'll always have Paris. We had the privilege of being able to actually see this movie on the big screen. It was not the first time I've seen it. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm not going to hide that right out the gate, guys. <laughs> like, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. You're probably going to be able to figure out very quickly where I'm going to lean by the end of this episode. And that's perfectly okay. Hang around, though. Listen to what Emily has to say. You're going to hear me do a lot of good stuff, but I have a couple faults as well. Don't get me wrong. No movie is absolutely perfect. No movie is absolutely perfect, but this one comes pretty damn close. But I had seen it numerous times before, but never had the chance to see it on the big screen. But they were having a special showing at AMC Theaters. We were lucky enough to get tickets and see it. And tell me about that experience. Well, this was my first time watching it. I always thought I had watched it, but I think it's one of those movies that everyone has talked about so much and everyone has quoted so much that I just thought I had watched it. Yep. I had not. And uh, watching it on the big screen was definitely the way to go. It was an experience, to say the least. I know you really enjoyed it. Uh, it's It might be my favorite theatrical experience this year. I mean, like, for the whole year. Like, I don't <laughs> think anything that's coming is going to top <laughs> this experience. It's so... I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Letterboxd. I know some of our listeners have a Letterboxd. They know what it is. But it's a place that you can go rate your movies that you've seen. And it keeps like a whole list of every movie that you've seen. You can follow me. I think my handle is AdamAnt62513, I believe is my my handle. It's in the description below if you guys want to come follow me. I have like almost 3,000, maybe even over 3,000 movies now logged on there. I'm not 100% sure. But you can see where I rank them. Going into this sunday which is very late for us to be recording this but we had that opportunity to see it so we didn't want to watch it at home and then record from there we waited and i had it at four and a half and let me just tell you guys after the experience at the theater it is now five stars it is one of the very few movies that i have given five stars to that's how incredible the experience was and now he's trying very hard to find, like, an old-school so, film reel yes. to watch it on. <laughs> we watched a digital print of it, and some things get lost in transla translation when you're moving mediums like that. I would love to see this back on an old, like, 35, 70-millimeter print, and that would just be on a big screen, and it would be amazing. And one step further, my, my, my goal, my dream would be to watch this movie on an old time field film reel, on an old projector, with the orchestra pit. The live orchestra. The live orchestra where they play the score as you're watching the movie. Ah, oh, be still my heart. How great would that be? 
I would like to see almost any movie with the live orchestra, so this one would only be that much better. I know. I got to make my way out to L.A. because they do a lot of... Uh, Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino director, owns... Uh, God, what is it called? The Rialto something? I don't know. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's a theater out in L.A. He owns it, and he shows every movie there is only in uh, print. It's not He doesn't show digital there. Interesting. Uh, because he's a huge fan of real, of old film, not digital. A lot of his movies are even shot on film. He doesn't want to switch to digital, which awesome. Because sometimes there's nothing better. I have... Per- have you ever shot on film? I know you used to make little shorts here and there. Uh, I have not shot anything on film. I did still photography in film, but I have not done motion picture in film. Okay. Unfortunately, I did not get a chance to do that. I've never shot. I've never done photography on old film. I mean, I grew up in the days of film where you had to load film into a camera. <laughs> but you didn't to have to able... personally go in there and develop it yourself. You didn't have to go to the dark yeah. room and do all that. But I have shot on film. I used an old Bolex camera and I made a short film. Um, it was a lot of fun. It wasn't exactly what I wanted at the time, but it was an experience that I wouldn't trade for anything. Yeah. Okay. Into Casablanca. Yes. I know you're not a fan of black and white films. I am not. Something about them, it, it hurts my eyes and I get a headache normally watching them. Something about it just does not work with me. Okay. However. Yes. I lost the fact that it was black and white throughout the movie. I was able to finally look past that, probably because I was so ingrained in what was actually happening in the movie that my brain was just able to be like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Just just figure out what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) When you're into a movie, you kind of forget color versus black and white. You're so into the characters that you kind of fill in the blanks that might be missing. Yeah. Um, so there was, before we get actually into the movie, one more little side tangent here. Before the movie started, we had an introduction from Leonard Moulton, which if you don't know who Leonard Moulton is, he's a film historian and film critic. He is also on the board for the Academy Awards, which is this Sunday. I'm super excited for that. But he is in love with film, and I love him for that. He has a lot of good takes. He became a very prolific critic. He was probably one of the top 10 critics a couple years ago, you know, 20 years ago. And then he's kind of moved up the ranks over the years. But he writes a lot of books because he doesn't just talk about movie reviews. He loves knowing the history of film and he loves teaching the history of film. And we got a nice little introduction from him where he told you some stuff about Casablanca. Is that, what did you think of that? At the beginning, I was just like, okay, let's go, because we already watched 20 minutes of just straight-up commercials. They weren't even trailers. They were just commercials for, like, cars, which was really weird. Uh, But he gave a lot of really uh, interesting information about the movie, uh, something that I'd almost like to rewatch now that I have watched the movie. I I think it would be a lot more entertaining now that I have watched the movie to get to see this. So, tell me, is that... Was that interesting? Like, would you want that on other movies to get a little information prior to watching a movie? I'm not a big fan of getting information prior to a movie, especially if it's about that movie. I'm 
the kind of person that if I get any type of spoilers, I'm just like, ah. I mean, they weren't really spoilers he was giving away. He was giving the history of the film, how it was made, who was in it, what happened at the yeah. time. You know, I don't know. Just I, I don't want to get any expectations or anything about it. So he was hyping the movie like crazy. And I'm just like, ah, I haven't seen it yet. Don't try and persuade me <laughs> one way or another. Let me figure it out on my own. Not that he was filming that for anyone who's it's yeah. their first time watching it. So, I mean, he did mention if it's your first time watching it, enjoy. But I definitely yeah. think his goal was, uh, you've probably seen this. And here's some information you may or may not have known about it. I normally like those kind of things. I like behind the scenes stuff and... Uh, getting to know more information about movies but before the movie mm, is that know. something that like you could see going forward as like a, a post-credits thing instead of doing post-credits scenes to further the movie what if like at the end of the credits you got the director coming in and doing a little five minute three minute thing just talking about the way the movie was made or giving you additional information or what would you think of that going forward? Would that be interesting to see? Like, you're watching the newest Marvel movie, and at the end, the director's like, hey, did you catch this thing? This is how we did this, blah, blah, blah. Probably only if movies are, like, an hour and a half, okay. hour 45 minutes. As soon as you get two plus, I'm like, all right, I gotta pee. Like, <laughs> let me let me run out of here. I've been holding it for far too long, trying to sit through this three-hour movie. <laughs> Looking at you, Avatar. Uh, yeah. But I, I, I like them when they're on the... the disc okay later you know you get those normal normally those special features yeah but in the movie experience i just i don't know i don't know if anyone would be willing to sit through it hi i would <laughs> <laughs> just throw my hand up there absolutely i would uh but i'm a sucker i watch the credits i look for people i it all of it fascinates me yeah clearly i'm a huge cinephile okay finally to casablanca yes let's start off with our typical, what did Mr. Roger Ebert have to say? Well, he actually reviewed this in 1996, mostly because he was born the year that it came out. So <laughs> he couldn't do it then. I would love baby Ebert to be reviewing a movie. It would be fantastic. But in 1996, he gave it four stars, of course. And the quote I grabbed from him was, Seeing the film over and over again, year after year, I find it never grows over familiar. It plays like a favorite musical album. The more I know it, the more I like it. The black and white cinematography has not aged as color would. The dialogue is so spare and cynical, it has not grown old-fashioned. He kind of already gave his opinion on if it holds up at, for 1996. Keep watching for 2023. But I, I think he honestly... Uh, obviously loved it i yeah he obviously loved it four stars and that first line that you read is as someone who's seen this movie dozens of times um i absolutely loves it he's right it's you saw we saw it and you you could see me physically reacting to stuff in the movie i've seen this movie so many times and yet i'm still what, on the edge of my seat, what's going to happen? Oh my god, that just happened. Oh, it got me again. It doesn't become tiresome. Honestly, my favorite part about watching the movie in the theater with you was you quoting. <laughs> like, full scenes. Not just, like, a quote. You were under your breath 
line by line <laughs> saying these things. And I know you and I've been with you when you've, we've watched other movies that you have seen multiple times and you have not done that. No. That, that's how I knew you loved this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, aside, like I had to pee like 20 minutes into the movie um, and I was like, no, nah, I just, I can't get up. And then it got too much and I had to get up. I even told you, I was like, I, I gotta go. And yeah. you're like, oh, okay. And I booked it. I like down the stairs, all the way out, <laughs> ran to the bathroom, went as quick as I could, washed up my hands, ran back. I missed like 35 seconds of the movie because I hauled ass. It was very quick. <laughs> like back. nothing I happened. I don't want to miss parts of this. So spoiler alert, guys. Uh, you know where I'm going to lean. So <laughs> don't be surprised at the end of this by anything. Okay. But that was 1996. Yes. People have been reviewing it since on Rotten Tomatoes. What does Indeed. it look like? The Rotten Tomato Critic Score with 136 views, reviews, has it at a 99%. Mm, that son of a... I literally had... I went through and I found the one rotten. And the whole thing that this person said in their review, overblown. That was their entire review. I was like, <sighs> you're not going to give any reasons? You're not going to actually say anything about it? No? Okay. No, he's just one of those people who... The movie was so well beloved and talked about and hyped up mm -hmm. and he needed to be that dissenting opinion yeah and what's the worst part about that is you could have still been dissenting while understanding that it's a very well-made movie and gave it a positive review but pointed out all of the negatives as well because yeah. you can't honestly come in and go rotten just zero out of five yeah and the fact that he just says overblown immediately makes me go, okay, he, he was mad that it was hyped up. Yeah. That's it. He thinks it's overrated. Yeah. Cool. I mean, to be fair, his uh, little name on there is the low IQ Canadian. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. Yeah. So. So highbrow. I know. It just, it stinks. <laughs> it, it, it angered me so much <laughs> that 99%. Yeah. That's Seriously. how hard it is to get 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, because you're always going to have one. one person who's like, no, it can't be 100%. Yeah. Mm -mm. Always. <laughs> always that one person. Uh, but what did audiences say? Uh, what the have they been saying? The Rotten Tomato critic, or sorry, audience score with the classic 250,000 reviews, 95%. Ooh. It is pretty high. Yeah. And pretty, I went through, I read a couple of the reviews that didn't have the full five stars on it, and they were all still really, really positive. Some were just like, eh, modern people might not like it, like, mm. and I was like, oh, yeah. sure. It might not be for everybody, and that, <laughs> that's true. You know, that's what happens with movies over time. It's why it's so interesting to look at these numbers, because obviously something in 1942, uh, Rotten Tomatoes didn't exist because <laughs> the internet didn't exist or any of it. Yeah. So it's all of the people who are reviewing it now are watching it either for the first time, like you, or people who are revisiting it. And it's interesting to see how it's changed for those people. So for it to, for it to still have a 95, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. I went through and I actually was just perusing Rotten Tomatoes. And I found it interesting that Citizen Kane... Mm -hmm. Like, the ultimate movie for the so many people. 
99 critic, but only 90 audience. Mm-hmm. So to have five... Not talk about overblown. Well, yeah. <laughs> but to have five more percent than the movie says, says a lot. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, you know, we'll get, we'll get this little bit out of the way quick so that we can actually get into the movie. But box office stuff. The budget for this movie was roughly a million dollars, which is a lot of money in 1942. But, you know, that today is a lot of money. Uh, domestically, so I don't know the numbers from 1942. Nothing was ever reported back then. There's no there's no archival information about it. But the movie has had multiple re-releases. In 2012, it had two theatrical runs, one in 2013, and then the most recent one this year, 2023, which by the time I was looking up these numbers... It already included two days worth of 2023s. It has made 10462500 And when we're talking that kind of money, that is over what would equate to uh, about a week in theaters. You know, two days here, yeah. two days there. It equates to about a week in theaters. I couldn't do an adjusted, so I did the best that I could. I kind of just took, because it had two theatrical runs in 2012... I'm going to say that it grossed majority of its money that year, having two theatrical runs. So I use the 2012 number to adjust for inflation, where in 2012, movie tickets were only $7.96 compared to the $9.17 they are now. So adjusted for inflation, it would be $12,052,905. In 2022, that would have landed it in the 71st spot. Right below the Fablemans a movie that is currently up for Best Picture, yeah, and the horror movie X. Yeah. So, you know, it is what it is, but... Well, <laughs> that's just, like, probably a smidgen of what it made compared to its original release. Oh, absolutely. If, if I could find those actual numbers and adjust for inflation... It, it's a lot more. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, Especially it's since a lot. Theater tickets were probably like 10 cents. A lot, lot more. Yeah, absolutely. Insane. Um, so let's talk about last week we did Slumdog Millionaire, which was an Oscar winning best picture. Mm-hmm. And this week, Casablanca, also best picture winner. That's kind of our theme because this Friday we're going to have a whole episode out over on YouTube, a video all about our Oscar picks for this year uh, for the top eight. Well, the big eight is what we're calling it, which are all the acting awards, best picture, best director, and the two screenplay awards. So make sure this Friday to come check out that video. It's a good time. At the end of that video, we also use the second half to tell you how we would fix the Oscars. Because back when these movies were winning Oscars, especially this movie, the Oscars were very well loved. A lot of people paid attention to them. They were a big deal. Over the years, though, numbers have drastically dropped. They used to average around 30 million viewers. Now they're lucky to get 10 million viewers. That is a huge decrease over the last, like, 15 years only. Mm -hmm. And as somebody who's watched it religiously for probably 15-plus years, yeah, the quality is not there, and it's kind of hard to get through. So we pitched some ideas on how it would fix, if, how it could be fixed if we ran the Oscars. So make sure come follow us and subscribe to us on YouTube so you can check out that video this Friday. Do you want to know what three Oscars Casablanca won? Of course. It won, obviously, Best Picture, 
It won Best Director for Michael Curtis, and it won Best Screenplay. Not bad. That's yeah. two. That's the two big awards: Best Director, Best Picture, Best Screenplay is one of their top awards as well. I mean, it was that's also, three of our top eight. That's three of our top eight. It was also nominated, but did not win in these categories: Leading Actor for Humphrey Bogart, as a Supporting Actor. For Claude Rains, who plays Detective Louis, oh. French Detective Louis, cinematography black and white for Arthur Edison, best editing and best score. And if you heard me, I said cinematography for black and white because color wasn't used in every movie. So they had two categories. They had a cinematography for black and white and they had a cinematography for color. Kind of interesting. Yeah. Kind of interesting. Interesting that this movie could have potentially been in color. I I don't think this movie works well in color, though. I think... I don't know. I feel like Casablanca would have been very colorful. It could have. And I think that might have taken away from some moments, though. Okay. But I think it could have also played really well some moments. But, yeah, I mean, Humphrey Bogart lost. And, like, that's sad. Yeah. He's amazing in this movie. Let's just start with him. He's brilliant. Yeah. He plays the detached, caring person so freaking well. It was so interesting to to watch him because he had just this presence always on screen where you could tell his relationship to pretty much everyone there mm -hmm. and how much they respected him just by the way he moved, by the way he looked at someone or something. The way people looked at him. Yeah, it, just his presence, and every scene was so interesting. And then you hear his voice, and I'm just like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> his Keep voice talking is to spectacular, me. <laughs> yes. Um, but, I mean, at least he got nominated. Yeah. And, I don't know. It's nice, though. Like, he got nominated. This was a great career revival for him. He tried his... He's a, he's a theater actor. You learned this from Leonard Maltin before yeah. the movie. He was a stage actor, Broadway actor, before he tried film. His first foray to Hollywood completely bombed. Was in a couple movies. They were bad. He didn't do anything else. And then this kind of came around. He took it, kind of springboarded him back into the spotlight, and he became a household name. Yeah. I couldn't even tell you who won that year over him, but it's probably somebody you've never heard of. And you've never seen Casablanca, but uh, did you know Humphrey Bogart before seeing I'd, it? I'd heard his name. Yeah. Yeah. But if I told you it was the uh, guy who was in, he was the lead actor in Heaven Can Wait from 1942, you've probably never even heard of that movie. No. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I probably wouldn't have even heard the movie, let alone the actor. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I, I wanted to write down s some more stuff because... It, it was really interesting to me the oscar stuff so for best director uh winner michael curtis this was his only oscar win ever and it's crazy because he had four nominations outside or four nominations before this nomination in 1944 he was nominated in 1936 he was nominated in 1939 for two movies he appeared on the ballot twice for two different movies and he still didn't win <laughs> and in 
And then he was nominated again in 1943. And then he was nominated for this movie in 1944, where he finally won. Impressive. Here's the people he beat out. Henry King, who is a two-time Oscar nominee in 1944 and 1945. He beat out Ernest Lubitsch, who was a three-time Oscar nominee before this year. Clarence Brown, who was a three-time nominee before this year and would get another two nominations after 1944. And then George Stevens, who was a two-time Best Best Director winner, um, one well after this year, once in 1952 for A Place in the Sun, and again in 1957 for the movie Giant, which was the third and final movie starring. Oh my God, drawing a blank here. Uh, Rebel Without a Cause, James Dean. Sorry, I drew a complete blank there. <laughs> James Dean, who only unfortunately passed away early and he only got to do three movies, Giant being one of them. And that was a big movie. And he beat these very well-established directors for this picture. Deserved? Not deserved? Well, what do you deserved. Think? Clearly. <laughs> what, what did you like about what he did in this movie? Or what he didn't do? I mean, there was a lot that he did well. I mean, number one, he, the acting was really good. So clearly he directed them well. It was one of those things where what they said was almost as important as what they didn't say and vice versa. So mm -hmm. they played with silence well. They played with sound well. They did a lot of nice lighting. I, I just thought it was really good. I know a big problem that you had, which is... I understand is a problem, but I also see it almost as a positive as well, is the speed at which the dialogue was spoken. I know you had sometimes issues with... Go, why don't you tell them? Go ahead. <laughs> well, this was one of my things that doesn't hold up well, is uh, they talk really quickly. <laughs> this is definitely a talking movie. The entire plot is just talking. <laughs> and for them to have so many different accents, and they all talk very quickly and sometimes over each other i lost it i yeah. lost some of the wonderfully written dialogue to that yeah um but for me i i can understand where you're coming from but that's also a positive for me because these people have an urgency and that was a director's choice to be like hey let's go one and a half times speed on almost every piece of dialogue because then when you got a nice slow bit of dialogue where they took their time and really spelled things out, I think it played so much better. And it's those little details like that that I think Curtis did so well that got him this win. So, very cool. If you don't know the story of Casablanca, I realize we just blew right through talking about the concept of the movie. It is all about a man named Rick. And he owns a little cafe in... A little. <laughs> <laughs> they call it little. A little cafe in Casablanca, where a bunch of refugees are escaping World War II. There's people from Poland, from Czechoslovakia, from France, from Lisbon, from all over the place. Heck, even Germany. Even Germany are there in Casablanca... Because that's the last stop before freedom. There's a whole underground trail that people kind of follow 
to get to freedom. And once they get to Casablanca, unfortunately, we have a mm, corruptish type officer, official, uh, Louis, who is friends with Rick. And he doesn't always sign the papers for them to get out of the country. Now, what happens is some of those letters of transportation are stolen off of two German soldiers who are killed. And then those letters end up at Rick's. And so the Germans show up to find out what happened. At the same time, a leader of the Underground Trail, Underground Railroad Resistance, shows up as well, Laszlo. And that's, he needs to get out, the Germans need to capture him, Rick's kind of caught in the middle of everything that's happening, and he wants no part of it. That's basically the story of Casablanca, without giving away too much. Agree? Disagree? I, Anything you want to add? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much it, except for a giant thing that I think you're trying to not spoil, which this is a many, many year old. Are we, are we old... Ilsa? Yes. Yes. I'm... Well, I figured we'd get into that in a minute anyway. Okay. So we start out the movie by hearing all about this underground trail and how people get to where they get to. Then we meet Rick. Something that I noticed right away is we get cops rounding people up after we hear about these Germans being murdered. And... One guy tries to run away because he doesn't have his paperwork in order. He's a refugee. So he tries to run and he gets shot. But it's such a tasteful shooting. It, 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 as much as that sounds crazy, but there's no blood. There's no big overdramatic thing happening. There's no after effects. It's you hear the gun go off. He grabs his back to the ground. And that's not the only time that happens. There's other times it happens in the movie as well. What do you think about that? Does that work for you? Did that not work for you? I mean, it was fine. I honestly think it was just because they couldn't show that. I mean, they couldn't. So it's I not like, like it. a choice that they made. It's just what they had to do to put that in the film. So. I know you're just not a fan of gore. That's why I was asking. You're not a fan of that over the top. It's, let's see all the bloodshed. It's not so much. Let's not see all the bloodshed. It just looks so fake. <laughs> Because it's literally like, I shot you, and oh no, my back, let me dramatically <laughs> fall onto the ground and die. It's like when you're playing cops and robbers with your friends when you're yeah, like seven. Pretty much. So it was like, that took me out of it a little bit, but I was like, <laughs> I understand why it's happening, but it's still like, just don't show his full body. Okay. That's I don't fair. know. <laughs> I mean, you're not, you're not wrong. It's fine. Um, I just, I always enjoy it though, because I don't need over the top. I don't need to see the blood splatter on the wall. I don't need to see a hole in the guy. I, I just don't need all that. My mind fills in what happened. If you show me it's, you know, we've become de so desensitized to it because it's just everywhere that sometimes it's nice to just take that step back and allow ourselves to understand what's happening instead of it being shoved down our throats. See, I don't. I like it better when it's just like tastefully edited around. That's good too. Where it's yeah. like you hear the sound effect and that's all you really need. And then you like see their hand fall into frame on the ground. Like that sort of thing. Instead of showing the dramatic fall, just <laughs> clever editing there. That definitely could have played here. Um, probably why it didn't win best editing. 
because <laughs> that's something they could have done. They could have easily just, you hear the gunshot, we cut to the guy, he's on the ground, we can understand what happens. Yeah. So, yeah, missed opportunity. Oh, little, well. little things. Little things. Then we go and we meet Rick in his bar, who uh, is talking to Sam, the piano player, played by, hold on, Dulé Wilson. Talk to me about Sam, the piano player, because I know you are a big fan. Where's his Oscar? (laughs) He's only in it for like 20 minutes, but where's his Oscar? We can give Oscars for three minutes. We can give Oscars for that. Um, No, Sam was amazing. I have it written down, all caps, I love Sam, because we all need a ride or die like Sam. He is the ultimate person. Like, if, if we were looking for saints in any type of movie, it'd be him. Yes. You need the prototypical best guy in the world right there plus yeah. his voice is pristine he oh his voice is so lovely it's this like jazzy soulful voice but he's not singing jazz music he's singing like ballads at some point but he's got that soul behind it i absolutely love it um his rendition of as time flies as time, as time goes, goes by. by as time goes by uh it's it's absolutely wonderful one of my biggest problems with this movie is we introduce sam he seems like a very important figure and then halfway through the movie we don't ever see him again yeah referenced by name but we don't ever get to reconnect with him and i think that's a huge missed opportunity because he was a very interesting character that should have been held around considering he's known rick since before casablanca he was with rick in paris france when the Germans showed up and they had to leave and go to Casablanca. Like, yeah. he is the ultimate ride or die. Yeah, we needed more of him. We needed more. But then this is, we get a whole little couple scenes here of people interacting in this bar, gambling, everything, and people keep talking about Rick. And then Rick, we find out, has so much power here. Like, people respect this man. Yeah. And whatever he says, if he snaps his fingers, something's going to get done. Whatever he wants. I mean, he just has to give a bouncer a look and oh. someone's not allowed into the the saloon area or what, whatever area yeah. he was in. He's just like, nope, not allowed. It's like one of the world's largest banker or one of the Europe's largest bankers or something like that is trying to get into, like, the VIP section of his club. And he says no. And the guy's like, do you know who I am? And he hands him a business card. And Rick just rips it up in front of him. And he's like, I don't care who you are. <laughs> You're in my saloon. And I love Cafe. it. It's amazing the kind of power this man has. And the best part is we never find out why he has this much power. Or how. He just does and you accept it. I find the best thing about him having that power is he kind of acts like he doesn't care. Yeah. And maybe he's that's like, how he got it. Yeah, whatever. People are like, oh man, he's so cool. We should just do whatever he says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we also then get to meet Louis, uh, played by Claude Rains. Mm-hmm. I, I, hopefully I'm pronouncing these names right. I'm pretty sure I am. Um, he's a French police officer, uh, detective, who actually runs the entire gambit of uh, police there. And he's working with the Germans trying to figure out 
who killed the couriers and basically do whatever they want because Casablanca is an unoccupied space of France. Yeah. Um, it's not in, in Africa. France. It's <laughs> in Africa, but France owns it at the time. And it's unoccupied, meaning the Germans aren't there yet. They haven't had a reason because Claude, as you find out throughout the movie, has been keeping them at bay, for lack of a better term, where he's giving them enough victories to make them feel like he's on their side and it's not warranted that they need to send an entire militia there to overthrow it and occupy it. Yeah. And what? tell me about this character. I love this character. I know you love this character. Yeah. What do you think? Talk to me. Uh, let's start off with the fact that he is super funny. <laughs> I absolutely love every time he opens his mouth because he just says the most witty things. Oh, yeah. And they all just, they always make me chuckle. Uh, but I found his character very interesting to be like, he is an openly corrupt official, basically. Mm-hmm. But he is doing it almost for the people, for the most part. I will yes. say that, for the most part. He does get something out of it. Yes. yes, he gets something out of it, but he's also doing what he has to to make sure that this area can stay, quote, you know, free, quote mm-hmm. unquote. Unoccupied. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you're, you're towing the line there. You're giving them just enough, but you're keeping it to the French. Like, you're, you're staying true. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's complicated. This was another fault I had with the movies. Sometimes the politics of Casablanca can get kind of <laughs> a little hard to follow. They get a lot easier with each watch. Yes. Yeah. So I know I got thoroughly confused on those, like, why is this happening? Why is this not happening here? I know we had to have a conversation about it after mm-hmm. we watched the movie. We were like, I don't understand the politics, basically. And yeah. I had to kind of walk you through exactly what that meant. Yeah. So it once I kind of got more of a grasp of it, his character begot, came, became more interesting. Yes. Yeah. It, really super cool guy. Very interesting. Yes. He's a bad guy. Guys, he's 100% a bad guy. But he's also 100% a good guy. Yeah. He's like 200% people. I don't know. It's it's weird. But like you said, he, he will take bribes. He will go do sneaky things. Like a, the Germans murder a guy who they find out who killed the couriers and they murder the guy who did it. And he writes up a report and he says, oh, we're not sure if it was uh, an accidental death while he was trying to flee or if it was suicide we haven't decided yet yeah clearly he's just gonna make up a false report yeah so he's corrupt but at the same time he's using that power like we've said to keep the germans at bay not having them invade but he's also trying to help people get out for the right price though (laughs) he wants his cut of things yeah for people's freedom okay He's still not, like, actively handing people over and all this stuff. So he borders that line really well, and by the end, you get a clear understanding of which side he's actually on. Everything seems to be normal. You know, the Germans show up, this happens. Rick gets his hand on these letters of transportation, and then his entire world falls apart in the blink of an eye because... Ilsa Lund walks in to his bar. Of all the... Of all the gin joints in all the world, 
she had to walk in to mine. Yeah. Ilsa Lund is played by the gorgeous and talented Ingrid Bergman. And I love her. Uh, that is all I have to say. No, she's actually wonderful in this role. Her accent is absolutely delicious. <laughs> um, she's just so, again, such a complex character, just like everybody else, where her and Rick were in love in Paris. But there's a problem. She was supposed to come to Casablanca with him and Sam, but never showed up to the train station. And we find out the reason why is she was married. She was with Rick while she was married to someone else. And you might think, like you thought... She's an adulterer. Right? Like Seriously. What, what was the How dare note, you? What was the note that you wrote down? I don't remember. I think you said you had like something written down of just like how much she sucks. <laughs> you were so mad. Uh, it uses an expletive. Oh. Well, you know what? <laughs> an expletive ad- adulterous, adulterous B word. Adulterous bitch. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not one of the bad words. Um, yeah. Yeah, like you were so mad when you found out. Dude, I was so <laughs> mad. Not only for her time in Paris, but she kind of does some things in Casablanca too that I'm like, yeah. I, you're terrible. You're a terrible human being. Stop. She's she's in love with Rick. She's in love care. with Rick, but she's married to another man who mm-hmm. she's also absolutely in love with. Mm-hmm. She's in between a rock and a hard place, and it shows. But she shows up. And this is, she is the reason Rick is the way he is. He won't have drinks with customers. He won't mingle with customers. He doesn't like people. He's very private. He, he doesn't date. He doesn't anything. He, he will sleep with a woman and then he will leave them. Like he is a broken person and it's all her fault. And he thought he'd never see her again. And in she walks. And who does she walk in with? Her husband, Victor Laszlo. The guy who's helping run the Underground Trail and getting people to freedom. And here's why she couldn't be with Rick. She thought, when they were in Paris, she thought Laszlo was dead. He was taken to a concentration camp. And the, st- the story that she heard was as he was trying to escape, he was shot and killed. And then she found Rick. But then, when they were supposed to leave for Casablanca... She got word it was all a setup. He wasn't actually dead. He was just faking his death, so they'd stop tracking him down, and she had to go back to him because she was already married to him. Yeah. Not (sighs) that anyone else seemed to know that because he didn't want to endanger her. Yes. Although, while he's on the run, they start, like, saying that she is, or was that? Is what? His wife? Either his wife or just important to her him because he wouldn't leave her behind and it's like well because he's a when we meet them they are one step away from freedom because the letters of transportation that rick has are for them yeah they were there to get those so that he can leave get to lisbon which is one step away from america where he can then help a lot more people he's so close to freedom so i think he kind of backed off a little bit and thought it's safe to tell everybody could be. Could be. But she still doesn't wear a ring. Still doesn't? Well, yeah, obviously. Tell me about Laszlo. I know you have some thoughts. I like that he's just a good guy. He's doing what he can to help, and he 
finds out that they had this tryst. Like, he figures it out. He he wasn't told, but he figures it out. And he's they like, had an affair. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, I wasn't going to say anything because no one's at fault. Literally, it, you guys thought I was, or she thought I was dead. You didn't know. So I, I, I'm not going to do anything about it because, you know, it's not no one's fault. And, and I just, I like that because a lot of movies nowadays would have made it a huge deal, either with, him and Rick, or him and uh, Isla. 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 I always say her name wrong. Yeah. Um, um, they would have had, like, some type of screaming match, some type of, like, brawl or something, being like, you slept with my wife. Ha, 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 ha. Or you would find out that Laszlo loves the cause more than he loves her. Mm-hmm. She just happens to be there. But no, he loves her just as much, if not more. But his work is also very important. Yeah. It's incredible that so many people in this movie are so complex, and yet everything is reasonably understood by characters. Nobody overreacts to anything like they would in modern movies. One of my favorite things about Victor Laszlo, who's played by Paul Henry, fantastic job, also a very good-looking man, is he has a scar above his right eye. And this is, again, one of those things that goes to the writing and their directing, There's a scar above his right eye from the minute we meet him, but they never address it. Nobody asks him about it. He never tells a story about it. We don't get that obligatory, hey, I see you got a scar there. What happened? Well, here's a five-minute story and a flashback to let you know. No, we don't get that. We know he was in a concentration camp. We know he's a fugitive from the Germans. You can just assume, you, you can put it together that he was hurt, He was attacked, he was beaten, and left with a scar. And it's little details like that in this movie that I think are just so overlooked in more modern filmmaking, and it it works so well. I love it. It's another thing that I think this movie does well compared to today's films is it doesn't feel the need to spoon feed anything to you. It's just either you're going to get it or not. Like It won't matter either way, but for those who get it, it's a nice little moment. Yeah. But like you said, movies today would be like, no, we must have a five-minute conversation and a flashback about <laughs> wh- how I got this most minuscule scar. Uh, I don't know if it's so minuscule, but... I, I was saying in general. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, here's some other things that I really liked. Let me know if you want to talk any more about any of them. They have this wonderful transitions between scenes where... The camera's always kind of moving. They don't do these like random hard cuts unless they absolutely need to. There's this wonderful moment where Rick and Louie are going to go into his office to get some stuff. And the camera passes right through a wall to watch them go into it. And that's just beautiful transitions. There's no scenes that are cut like 18 times during a conversation. It's just play out and then the camera moves and we start a new scene. And I, and I love it. Another thing is ch- shot composition is absolutely wonderful. Uh, Curtis did a wonderful job directing here. Right after Rick and Louie go to his office and the camera moves to the wall, Louie's standing there waiting and Rick is in complete shadow. We actually don't even have Rick on screen. Mm-hmm. He's in complete black, but we see his shadow casted on the wall while he's speaking. And it's what a beautiful shot. It's so it's very pretty. So good. Humor. 
I know you want you you love the humor in this. It is so good. I love that quick, witty humor that isn't cut and paste. Like, a lot of movies that try to be that kind of humorous now are like, everyone has the exact same sense of humor. And just everyone gets it, and it's always a big laugh. Woohoo. I'm looking at you, Marvel. I mean, but, I'm just going to throw it out there. Example, Peter Quill, Tony Stark, uh, Peter Parker, and... Scott Lang are all pretty much the same humor. They are all pop culture, quippy humor. I mean, half of them do it now. It just is. And this movie did a wonderful job in giving everyone their own sense of humor that not everyone gets or everyone laughs at or acknowledges even. It's just, like, as an audience member, I laughed at pretty much all of it. But, you know, I like the fact that they didn't have to make it in-universe, that everyone was just laughing at all of these mar- remarks. I loved being in the theater, and when some of these lines were said, the theater was laughing. And that's just such a wonderful thing, because these aren't jokes. They're not like, knock, knock, who's there? They're just <laughs> lines of dialogue, but the way they're presented, play funny. Um, and like you said, I love that Rick is a very... Uh, he's the straight man in a lot of the conversations, yet they give him these very matter-of-fact lines and the way they're presented make you chuckle. Oh, yeah. Because he's just like, I know, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yep, no, that makes yep. perfect sense. That's hilarious. But then Louis is like over-the-top sarcastic and making these really like sometimes vulgar innuendos about things. But he's such like a likable character and he says everything tongue in cheek that he's also funny. And it's a great play against each other. Laszlo has some stuff where he just flat out is like, this is funny. Let me say it. (laughs) And it is such a variance that you don't get bored with the humor because everybody brings something different to the table. And it's not outdated humor either. It's it was still obviously making people laugh in the theater. It was making me laugh through the entire movie. Yeah. Uh, cinematography, we've kind of touched upon. It's absolutely beautiful. Yep. It's a tight script. Everything moves at a really good pace. Um, if you've ever seen something like The Social Network or um, the West Wing TV show, all written by Aaron Sorkin, think about like that, where it's just really quick, tight dialogue and people just deliver it and move on. There's no awkward pauses. There's no ums and ahs. It's just boom, 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 boom. It just hits you. That's this script. But then what this script does really well is also is it stops when it needs to stop and lets the silence fill in the gaps. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, like I said, sometimes a little too quick. <laughs> <laughs> but it it kept the pace moving. It kept everything going yeah like in a, in a good fashion so that like no no one got bored yeah um there was something very interesting that i wanted to touch upon and get your thoughts on it so normally when you see a world war ii movie it is germans bad germans kill germans do whatever they want blah 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 mm-hmm. here we have strauser who is the lead german in charge of the investigation he's there overseeing things Laszlo shows up 
and they get basically in each other's face to have a conversation. They know he's there. They've been looking for him. He escaped a concentration camp. He is on the run from them. Yeah. But it's unoccupied France. They have no power. They have no official power there. What do you think about that dynamic? It's a very different take on Nazi Germany than you've seen in a lot of other things. I mean, it's still definitely played Germans as Germans bad. Well, obviously. So, but not like in, in they other movies, not... they would just kill him when he shows up. They would arrest him. They would take him in. Yeah. It's more of like a cat and mouse game. A little bit, but they still had so much power there. So it was like, Because eh. he basically went to the to Louis, 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 and was like, he's, he is going to stay here. And mm -hmm. then towards the end, he's like, but he can't stay here. So let's figure this out. Uh, so like he, he had to play around with the politics as well, basically, which is a better dynamic than we've seen in pretty much everything else. But it, it I don't know. You don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's an interesting thing. Because like I said, normally Germans are so bad that they're doing all these evil, corrupt, awful, horrendous things. And then these guys are just like, listen, we're not going to kill you. We're not going to arrest you. We're not going to do anything to you. Basically, you're in Casablanca for life now. Yeah. Get used to it. And that's such a departure from watching anything else where it's like, oh, a... Uh, 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 Jew escapes or uh, a freedom fighter escapes and the Germans hunt them down and slaughter them. And here it's like, they have him. They're in the same bar having a drink, a table apart. And nothing happens other than, hey, why don't you come down to the police station in the morning? We're going to have a little heart-to-heart -heart conversation. You give me the names of the people I'm looking for, maybe we'll let you go. It's just, it's such a weird departure from the stuff you normally see, mm -hmm. and it just always stands out to me, where I'm like, huh, that's like the hidden side of the war that you never really saw in yeah. other movies. Yeah. So, very, very interesting. Um, did you, tr so, Miss Ilsa shows up, and she still loves Rick, but she can't be with him, obviously. Mm -hmm. He finds out. They have a few moments together where he is absolutely devastated by seeing her again, but you can tell she might also have a little bit of that devastation from having to see him again. She shows up because Rick will not give these letters of transportation. In fact, he wants to use them to get back to America because he's been banned from America. He was, he was banished. Nobody knows why, and we never find out why, which is kind of interesting. And she comes to get those letters, and she pulls a gun on him. And he's like, I'll shoot you. And he's like, nah, you, you won't. <laughs> and it's a great, great moment. And then she tells him the whole story about how she thought Laszlo was dead and how she actually fell for him. And the entire time you're sitting there, did you believe her? Did you think she actually loved Rick? Or do you think she was playing him for a fool to get those letters? I think she loved, might have loved him at the time, but she's playing him now. That 100% you were like, she's totally playing him. I wrote it as a question that I was actually going to ask you in a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, I thought she changed tactics too many, too many times for it to actually have been like genuine. Mm, that's, a, that's a good point. And only ever the single tear. 
She is a oh, she's a master at the single tear. Yep. So oh, every time she looked at him and just you could see the tear forming. Just, just like looked. I wanted to cry. I was like, oh my god. It, Mm-hmm. Why? Why mm-hmm. did somebody bring onions to the theater? Mm-hmm. I don't like it. I'm not trusting your single <laughs> tear here. That's a forced um, tear. But do you trust her by the end? No. No, you still think she was playing Rick for a fool. I just something about her, something right? Something about her. Like I think she might have mixed feelings, maybe. But okay. mm, I don't know. I just don't like her character, probably because she's so flippy floppy. Yeah. She's like, I'm all with my husband. Oh, but you. <laughs> I'm all for my husband. But, but you say kiss. we're going to go. Just just you and me on the plane. And we're, we're going to tell him at the airport. Wait, you're not coming? Oh, no. My husband. <laughs> like, <laughs> I did not vibe with that character at all. I didn't, I didn't care for her at all. Wow, so that's a down for you. Yeah. She's a big down for you. All right. Yeah. This movie is better served without her. All right, so I went I went through a lot of stuff and I brought up a lot of things. You, you tell me some things. What are some things that you really stuck out to you, either good or bad? I really enjoy the fact that this is a very tight-knit story. It doesn't rely on big set pieces. It's literally in like maybe four or five locations max in the whole film. And so we're able to focus on just the central story and things that are happening in that world. It feels like a very tight world because of that. And I think it did a wonderful job. Whereas movies today are like, let's go everywhere we possibly can. Unless you're cabin in the woods. Or knock at the cabin because then you're only in one place. I mean, yeah, cabin in the woods is also kind of in like one place. Yeah. (laughs) I like the fact that the plot is simple and yet complex at the same time. It's a very basic story. And yet there's so many other things happening and impacting the story that it feels very unique it's a story that we've heard before many times probably because of this movie and how well it did but i saw those first so you know uh but it is enough going for it that it's unique and it's a wonderful experience watching it uh Little things that didn't kind of work for me is the fact that it is kind of hard to understand the plot at sometimes because, like I said, it's simple and yet complex. Layered. It's, yeah. Very layered. So you don't always know what to focus on, especially at the beginning. I had no idea what was happening. So I was just like, we're watching this. No, now we're watching this. No, wait, we're watching that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it'll probably be more interesting on a second viewing knowing where we're going to go than the first viewing where I'm like, where, where are we? <laughs> like you said, it doesn't hold your hand. It just expects you to kind of pick up on things as it goes. And it starts with a bang. Like you're just yeah. immediately right in and you have to piece things together as you go. Yeah. Other than, other than that, I just have a few nits. Okay. So here's some things that I think will damage people's expectations or want to see this. It is in black and white. And a lot of people don't like that. It, it is hard to focus on certain things. There's an entire scene where Sam, who is a black man, is talking to Rick in the bar after it's closed for the night. And it is so dim and unlit. And because it's in black and white, Sam kind of gets lost in the entire scene. And he's not the only one. There's times where Rick is wearing his hat and it's pulled down, cocked to the side. 
and half his face is just completely gone because again there's no real light source and th that can be hard for people to watch there's airplanes that happen in this there's car driving that happens in this there wasn't cgi guys it didn't exist at the time so it looks really choppy i know this is one of your nits the car driving talk what it what what is bothering um, you about it well that's actually my award for what doesn't hold up oh, so i thought it was in it's not a nit okay. it is the thing that holds up the worst is these special effects that are just like matte paintings and <laughs> like all of casablanca is just a matte painting that one i don't even mind as much it's when they're driving when they're on like the boat in paris oh, yeah. all those like little scenes here and there that shouldn't matter but if you're used to today's world they they look really bad <laughs> so yeah that's my han shot first yeah um I, I don't have a han shot if i had a han shot first it would probably be the air the airplane when it's taking off it's clearly a miniature it has like no movement to it it is such a linear path that it takes that it's like that looks so unrealistic yeah and it happens a lot in the movie like you said with the car driving and stuff it's just those little things that you expect them to look a certain way growing up in modern society yeah. so going back to these old movies they can be really hard to watch so we have the same Han shot first award. Yeah. It just takes you right out of the experience. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> it can, you can get brought back in shortly after, but yes, yeah. to start, it's, it's extremely, extremely difficult. Yeah. Um, uh, another fault that I have with this movie is I think the love story between Rick and Ilsa isn't played enough to fully grasp it. So we get a flashback to their time in Paris but the way they interact with each other, we get this whole thing where he's like, who you are? Tell me where, who you are, where you've been, where you're going, you know? Tell me what you want to be. And it's like, they know nothing about each other. So for them to be so in love seems a little forced. And mm -hmm. then after all these years, they get back together and they don't really still know anything about each other and yet they're just attracted to each other. And I understand that can happen. But when you're watching the movie, you kind of want more from them, and you don't get it. Yeah. That's, that's a big down for me there. I didn't really care about their romance, so that was a whole part exactly. of the plot that I was just like, eh. <laughs> I don't like Ilsa, so, nah. Yeah, it's, it's, this movie's remembered for the love story, like a lot of the stuff that happens between the two of them, and that is probably the least significant part of this entire movie. I mean, we did a whole podcast on The Princess Bride, which is all about the romance, and there's no romance there, yeah. so. Yeah, at least this had Paris and, and some romance, some drinks and some cuddles and yeah. other stuff. So, it kind of doesn't work for me. The miniatures and the sets don't work for me. The lighting doesn't always work for me. Yeah. Um, what else? Depending on what, like version you have there's several scenes that are like out of focus yes. and i don't know if that was always that way or if it's just in making a reprint of it it's gotten that way same with the audio there's going to be yeah. some weird audio glitches where like it doesn't line up correctly and that's usually just from the transfer from taking it from film you know 90 year old film to or 80 year old film now to digital 
because it originally went to a different type of film for like VHS, then it went to digital on disc, and then, you know. Yeah. So it just gets a little lost throughout and it tries to get corrected, but it can take you out of the experience when it's not something you're used to. What else you got? I'm, I'm good to go to nits. Yeah, take it. Uh, don't call your lover kid. <laughs> it's it, that famous line of, here's looking at you, kid. Every time he said it, it made me think, oh, you're some much older dude he, mm, who's with a young young girl that you probably should not be with every single time. And that's probably not as bad as the, the age range is probably not as bad as I think it is. But because you call him a kid, mm, just don't do it. It seems to be at least a decade year or decade difference between the two. Makes it even worse. Just don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I said, the love story just isn't always good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ilsa, that is not what humming is. <laughs> she she hum she hums the song uh, to Sam to be like, hey, play this for me. And she, and he's he says, like, I don't remember. How I don't to remember. Play it. I don't remember it because uh, you know Rick has basically said, hey, don't do this song ever again. Like. That's terrible memories. And so she's like, I'll hum it for you. And it goes, da, 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 like something like that. And I'm like, that is not what humming is. Sure. That's what it is. And it's not, I didn't hum there, but yep. that's what she does. That's and what she, she does. And that is not humming. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know it bothered you so much. It really, it really did. All right. There's uh, another bit in which uh one lady is playing a guitar and she's strumming it in the most awkward way in the awkward position i'm like it's like at, right at the base of the the neck and i'm like are you actually getting any good sound from that like what are you doing it just looks so weird she's getting a very specific sound from that guitars are actually played like that a lot when they're looking for a particular sound i didn't like it I, it will throw people off absolutely will <laughs> especially the way she was like sensually doing it like oh my god what what are you doing okay and my final knit is uh this movie is definitely one of those where it's like drunk equals overacting <laughs> especially for rick as soon as he gets drunk like every single bit that he does every line every gesture is just overdone oh yeah it's you ever seen a child play drunk what they think drunk is yeah that's what they did in this was, movie when they so were bad <laughs> i don't care i absolutely love it so much um <laughs> questions yes you got any unanswered questions yes what do you got did this uh movie popularize the travel my map trip uh no actually uh this movie did not it was being used before this but the whole opening scene was we're seeing a, a map of the world and they're drawing that line of yeah. the directions they have to go. No, uh, that was an easy, clear way back in the day to showcase something like that because you didn't have a drone to get aerial shots to show movement and things like that. So they had to do it in very simplistic ways. This was not the first, and I don't think it popularized it, but obviously I, I could be wrong. I yeah. will call Leonard Moulton and ask. He's a film historian. If I had his number, I would call him and ask him 
I feel like thinks. he would get really annoyed with how many times you'd call him for things. Uh, first of all, we would be best friends. <laughs> um, also, like, for my birthday you. this year, everybody that's listening, um, he's written a few books about the history of film. I would love to get my hands on them. So just, you know, my birthday's in June. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So I don't know if it popularized it, but yes, it was a trope. And it'd be cool to see that come back because it's always interesting. The Muppets do it. Yeah, damn right they do. The Muppets <laughs> do everything, though, so. They're like The Simpsons in that way. Yeah. Muppets they, the Muppets it. have done it. Also, I'm pretty sure they've parodied this movie as well in, oh. in clips. They've done the whole, here's looking at you, kid. They've done the get on the plane or you'll regret it. They would. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, what else? Why does Victor give his real name while on the run from the Nazis? Uh, I can answer this. Do you want an actual answer? Yeah. Okay. Because he's the face of a revolution and he's not actually trying to hide. He wants them to know where he is. Like, yes, obviously he doesn't get caught. He doesn't, he needed to get to Casablanca. He needed that, that safe space. But once he's there, he knows nothing can happen to him. And therefore he's shoving it in their faces. I'm here. What are you going to do about it? okay that's you know it's it's not hiding it's the martin luther king stuff it's uh harvey milk it's if you're the face you can't hide you just have to be there and that's what he does i actually think it's one of the cool things about him is that he has no fear in fact when we get to uh the other awards he's part of my paul rudd award so what else you got uh Given how corrupt the government is there, couldn't an accident be arranged? Yes, but Louis is corrupt, but he's not corrupt in that way. And because it's unoccupied, they still have to go through him to get things approved and to get things worked out. Mm -hmm. And they don't really want to burn that bridge either. And when I say they, I'm talking about the Germans. They don't want to burn their bridge with Louis so i don't know if they'd really push that that's fair but i i always have that question too of like again that's why i brought it up it's a it's an interesting side to the germans in this where they don't just have something happen yeah so very cool and my paul rudd award might explain that also any other questions no we already did the was ilsa playing rick at the end yeah uh hot take yeah uh, Rick should have forgotten Ilsa and taken Sam. <laughs> <laughs> you talk, you, you yep. saying at the end of the movie? Yep. So with the two letters that he has to get out of Casablanca, he should have just Sam. Let's go. Yep. Okay. <laughs> even though, even though by that point Sam hadn't been in the last like half hour of the movie, he just should have reappeared and just taken off. Yep. I love it. <laughs> I mean, he took him from Paris. Might as well just keep going. Exactly. Um, you could have sold everything, like, <laughs> taken their money, you know, said screw them, and... Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, my hot take is also about the ending, getting on the plane. Yeah. Uh, Rick should have screwed Laszlo. <laughs> just should have handed him over. Aww. So he sets up Laszlo to take the fall, but then it's a whole, like, double cross, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And... He gives Ilsa and Laszlo the papers so that they can leave, but he tricks them, gets them there by telling Ilsa he's going to go with her. 
they're going to, Laszlo's going to be out of the picture, basically. Sure. And that just should have what happened. I'm just really confused if that was his goal, was to get them both on there. Why even tell her that he was going to go with? Makes no sense. Oh, oh, no, it does. In their earlier conversation, she tells him she will never leave him again. And Mm -hmm. so he tells her, okay, well, then you and I are going to leave because that's the way you get her to the airport. And then he tells her there, ha ha, tricked you. I'm not going. You know what? Should have taken Laszlo. (laughs) Rick and Laszlo? Yep. Yep. There we go. Laszlo gets to continue his work on the uh, railroad or whatever. Sam gets to go home to New York. Oh, so Sam and Laszlo? Okay. (laughs) I was saying Rick and Laszlo, but okay. (laughs) Did I say Sam? I meant Rick. Rick gets to go home to New York. Yeah. So basically... The ending should have been different. That's our hot takes. In any way, it should have just been different. <laughs> Other people needed to be on that plane. Absolutely. As long as Zizlo wasn't there. All right. You ready for the awards? Yes. Okay. Um, let's go with the psycho shower scene. Your favorite and most iconic scene in your opinion. Do you want to start? Sure. Go for it. My most iconic scene is where he tells someone... Have you tried number 22 on the roulette table? Ooh, tell them the build up there. Tell them what's going on. So a woman comes to Rick and is like, hey, let's talk about Louis. 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 Is he an honest man? Uh, We don't have enough money to leave me and my husband. And if I basically sleep with him, he will give us the papers. Will it be okay? Like, will he keep his word? And will I be able to live with this, basically? Damn, Louis. Damn, Louis. You gotta go there, man. I was gonna say, that's why I said Louis's pretty much a good man. Yes. Not always a great man. Correct. But, you know, Rick kind of just doesn't fully answer. But he finds out who her husband is. Because he's trying to win all the money that they need at the roulette table. So they can pay Louis to leave instead of sleep with Louis. Yes. And Rick goes up behind him and says, have you tried 22 while giving a look to the dealer? Is that, is that who? It's fine. Yeah. Whoever's running the roulette table. Yes. He puts it on 22. What do you know? It comes up 22. Tells him to leave it there. What do you know? Comes up 22 again. And he says, cash that out and never come back. Leave and never come back. Yeah. He basically cheated his own establishment so that these two could get out and she wouldn't have to uh, sully herself. For thousands of francs. Yeah. Like thousands. And he just does it. Not not even second guessing it. Just yeah. What a great scene. And That's the first crack in Rick's armor. And it's a wonderful moment too for all of his staff. Because his one <laughs> waiter is just like, you are the best man ever. And oh. his bartender comes, has to run around and give him like a kiss on the cheek. Because they all know what he did. Oh, yeah. And they loved him for it. The way his waiter looks at him is like the way you would want anyone to look at you. Yeah. Like, it is full love in that moment of just, I would die for you yeah. because of what you just did. Oh, yeah. Great scene. Great scene. And like... But Rick does it so so chill, too. So nonchalantly. Oh, yeah. Like, he doesn't even, like, 
make a big deal. He just walks up and just leans over his shoulder and he's like, eh. he tried 22. And then he wins and he's like, just leave it there or else. Like, <laughs> it's so threatening, but like in such a lovely way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, fantastic scene. Um, my psycho shower scene goes to a wonderful moment in the bar between Laszlo and the German leader, Strauser. Strauser and the Germans are drunk and they are singing uh, the song of their people, a German song all about Hitler, the war, Nazis, all that good stuff. And Laszlo, in the bar with them, walks over to the band and he says, play Les Marseilles, which is like a French national anthem. And the band isn't sure they should do it because they don't want to get in trouble. And Rick, the, the leader of the band, looks at Rick. Rick just nods. And they start playing. And Laszlo leads them, singing as loud as he can, can to drown out the Germans. And this is the reason why I don't think the Germans were willing to do anything to him, accident or not. Because what happens next? Every single person in the place is singing at the top of their lungs. And the Germans get so angry and frustrated, they stop singing, they sit back down. They understand the power that that man has to do that. Yeah. Like, it's incredible. Like, not just one or two people, or he's overpowering them, or every single person stands up from their table and sings and gets into it. And then they all cheer when it's done, and they're all happy and rejoicing. That, my friends is power hey, what a beautiful scene it was honestly my rubber my runner up for yeah. the psycho scene because it's just that powerful yeah it, it really is it, it shows uh, going along with your psycho shower scene it goes along with that the two different types of power rick has a very reserved power where he doesn't need to make a big show about it he just has that power Laszlo, on the other hand, has that power by doing the big gestures, by not being afraid to make noise. Yeah. It's a great contrast between those two characters that Ilsa loves, and you can understand why she loves both of them. So, yeah, just, it's great. Next up is the... Life, uh, finds a way. Mine goes to a line from Louis pretty early on. So him and Rick are in his office, and they're talking about Laszlo coming to Casablanca and knowing that he's going to come through Rick's because everybody comes through Rick's. And he says to, Louis says to Rick, he can't leave. I know he might come here for help. He cannot leave, period. And Rick's like, I'm not going to help him. I have no reason to help him. But I'll bet you 20,000 francs he gets, at, he, he leaves, he gets away. And the, Louis just looks at him and he says, Make it ten. I'm only a poor, corrupt official. That's the line. Let's make it ten. I'm only a poor, corrupt official. He flat out knows he's corrupt. And this is played very for laughs. It's tongue-in-cheek. It's funny. He's not, like, saying it's serious. But he knows he's corrupt. We find out as the movie goes on how corrupt, but also how good at the same time. And I think the poor part is also very important. Yes, he has the money to cover a 10,000 franc bet with Rick. But I also think he might not have as much money as you'd believe him to because he is using it to help people when necessary. And what always gets me, strikes me about that line in particular 
is politics today. We all talk about how corrupt politicians are, and they are. Let's just be, <laughs> just be honest with ourselves. They are. But in their heads, they always think it's for the right thing. Okay, well, I'll take this bribe. I'll bribe this person. I'll do this thing. But it's for the people. You should totally vote for me because even though I'm making a bunch of money, I'm doing it for you. And it's like, but none of y'all will admit it. And Louis over here just admitting it, even though he's not nearly as corrupt as half the other people who don't think they are. So it's such a self-aware, funny moment. It just always sticks in my mind every time I hear it. That's a, it made me chuckle so much when I heard that line. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Um, what do you got? What's your Life of Finds Away award? My Life of Finds Away... My award goes to uh, a moment where Rick and the Germans and Louis, Louis are all talking. And they're like, oh yeah, we know all about you, Rick. We have this whole dossier on you. But don't worry, we're not going to leak it to anyone. And Rick kind of takes it, and his only response is... Oh, my eye's really brown. <laughs> which got me on two levels, because it's like showing how much he's disinterested in what they have to say. Like, they don't actually know too much about him. So he's like, the worst you got on me is my eye color. But it's also a funny, like, tongue-in-cheek moment, because it's like, this movie isn't black and white. No, we don't know if your eyes are color or brown. It it makes me laugh so much because oh, because so of good. that. I was just like, uh, I see what you did there. <laughs> so that's my life of finds a way award. Yeah, great moment. It just shows that like Rick is so uninterested in why they're there. He's yeah. just like, oh, you know who I am. Uh, okay. Get out. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. It's great. Uh, we already went over our. Han shot, shot first, first awards. Yeah. Um, refresher, we both kind of had the same thing. And it's just some of the imagery just doesn't work. The yeah. matte paintings, the miniatures, the way things move doesn't play well. Yeah. It can take you out of stuff. Uh, so last up is the Paul Rudd Award for the thing that held up the best. Yeah. What do you think? For me, it's the dialogue. It is so clever and so funny it keeps you interested in it the entire time. I'm not normally someone who like move, likes movies that are only talking. Just talk, 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 talk. Mm -hmm. I get bored, honestly. But this movie was done so well. The dialogue felt so real that I, I was interested from point A to point B. That's awesome. Because so. I know how much you hate talkies. I do. So. And even though I missed some of the talking because they talked super quick still my favorite thing yeah um what holds up the best for me is character dynamics i absolutely love the way people interact with each other and my runner up for the best scene was a scene between rick and laszlo where he's admitting to rick that he knows all about him and ilsa he he figured it out the minute they met he saw it he knew and he's not even mad he doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't anything. That's such a cool dynamic between characters where they don't have to fight. There's just a mutual understanding of what happened in the past because nobody was at fault. But then you have a great dynamic between Laszlo cares for Ilsa, Ilsa cares for him, and he'll do anything for her. 
and they're never fighting. They're not mad at each other for what happened in the past. Rick and Ilsa have a great dynamic. Rick and uh, Louis, uh, they're like best friends, but then also like don't like each other at moments. And it's just every single layered interaction between characters is just peak. Peak. It's wonderful. Yeah. And that's what holds up the best. That's what holds the whole movie together. And that's what draws you in. And we'll keep you coming back for more over and over and over again. Yeah. That's it. That's what I got. Final thoughts? Oh, uh, easy. Holds up. <laughs> I mean, you pretty much said that from the beginning. Yeah, 100%. From the get-go. 100%. If you've never seen this movie, I urge you to watch it. Uh, get past your, your grievances with it being in black and white or being from 1942. Whatever your hang-up is, look past it. Watch it. You're going to have a great time. The, the numbers don't lie. 99% critic, 95 audience. It, the chances, I mean, it's a 5% chance that you're going to be one of the negative people, but it's pretty good odds. Yeah. All right, go. I'm one of those fresh, fresh views. Uh, 2023, it holds up. With, we had to like nitpick to find a Han shot first award. I was just like, none of it really holds up that bad. So let me just pick this one t insignificant thing that didn't fully take me out of the movie. It wasn't terrible. It's just what it is, what it is. And that was the thing that holds up the worst. This movie is great. It is topical. It is an interesting point of view. The dialogue, like I said, is wonderful. And I think everyone should watch it. I, and if I can get past the black and white, I feel like anyone can get past the black and white. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well said. Well said. Uh, great movie, guys. Check it out. That's it for this episode all about Casablanca. Uh, let us know over on Twitter if you checked this movie out and what you thought of it. Does it hold up? 1-3. Follow us on all the socials. You can find out where those are in the description below. There's a link to our link tree where it will give you a link to all of our stuff come check it all out we do daily fun facts from different movies things maybe you've never heard before good times don't forget this friday youtube special video all about our oscar picks and what we would do to fix the oscars if we had control next week we're doing something a little different we're gonna have our episode out early it's gonna be fresh on tuesday morning not wednesday morning because it is going to be an entire episode about our reaction to the Oscars. What do we think about who won? How correct were we with our picks? What happened? So if you didn't watch it and you want to know, come check in with us Tuesday morning. And until next time, watch Casablanca. <laughs> Just do it. Bye. Bye.